listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. I don't know if it's true, but I recently heard the story of the first fully automated passenger plane ride. Fully automated passenger plane ride. That means that no human beings were actually involved with hands-on in this plane ride. And so what happened was the plane taxied down the runway, got to its right speed, took off flawlessly, beautifully, and eventually reached a cruising altitude of about 25,000 feet. Everything was taken care of. The passengers could watch whatever movie they wanted to watch just by pushing a button. They had free Wi-Fi on there. Even at that height, they were able to do it without being charged extra. Everything was taken care of and everything was running absolutely flawlessly until an automated voice came over the public address system and said, welcome aboard flight 832, ladies and gentlemen. You are making history today on the world's first fully automated passenger plane ride. Everything has been taken care of. There's no need for a human being to be involved in any part of the process, but don't worry, there's nothing that can go wrong. 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 I don't know about you, but that is one flight that I am glad that I missed. You should be glad too. There are things in life that can go wrong when they seem to be, everything seems to be going flawlessly, everything seems to be going beautifully, and then all of a sudden a fly falls into the ointment and everything begins to come apart. And this is exactly the situation that we see happening Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to talk about a sinful man and his enabling wife. There are two flies that have fallen into the ointment of what God has been doing here in the book of Acts. And that doesn't mean that there haven't been difficulties or hardships or problems. Last time together, we were looking at how Peter and John released from prison. So that's not a good thing if you're in prison, right? We've taken a look at how people are coming to know Jesus as their Savior and God. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Then another 2,000 after Peter preaches his second message. So people are coming to know Jesus as their Savior and their God. They're having all of their sins washed away by giving their lives personally, individually to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They're recognizing Jesus as the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. Beautiful things are happening. There's persecution that's happening as well, but it doesn't slow down the momentum, the movement of the Spirit of God. Interestingly enough, the real threat to the movement and the presence and the power of God comes from within the church. That's where the real threat rests. That's where the real threat is found. Look with me, if you don't believe me, in Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4, as we get ready to look at Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, seems remarkably similar to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, the undeserved favor of God. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And when we get to Acts chapter 13, we see that this is the man who becomes the traveling companion for the apostle Paul. This is how he's introduced right here. This man, Joseph, called Barnabas, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see that the apostles are leading, they are recognized by God and the people as being the representatives of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We've seen in previous chapters that signs and wonders are being done. And we see just at the end of this passage in Acts chapter four, that they are standing up and giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Not one apostle, not two apostles, but all of the apostles. They're unified and the whole church is unified and they're being selfless. And before we go any further, let me ask you this question, okay? Let me ask you this question. How have you been doing this past week in regard to being courageous and selfless for the kingdom of God? How have you been doing? Remember, it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a God-honoring thing to ask God to develop your courage, that you would stand up and speak out and live out the Christian life in front of whoever God might put in your path. Stand up, speak out, live your Christian life with courage. It's a great thing to ask God to develop your courage that you would live for him unapologetically. A lot of people apologizing for Jesus. God did not ask you to apologize for his son. He's not ashamed of his son. Neither should you be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God for salvation. So if Paul wasn't ashamed, if Peter and John, the other apostles weren't ashamed, why in the world would we be ashamed? It's a good God-honoring thing to ask God to cultivate your courage. God, help me to stand up, speak out with humble courage in this day of arrogance and fear. And along with that, it's good to ask God to help you to become increasingly selfless with the resources that God has given you. The resources at your disposal are not to be spent on me, myself, and I, even though you need to spend some of the resources that God's given you on me, myself, and I. You don't want to walk around naked. I saw something the other day, interesting sign, laundry today or naked tomorrow. It's true. You need to take care of your own needs, but you also need to put the needs of Jesus Christ first. And selflessness, which comes courtesy of the filling with the Holy Spirit, just like courage comes courtesy of the filling with the Holy Spirit, is one of the greatest things that we need to see today in the body of Christ and in the world as well. So how have you been doing in the areas of courage and selflessness I find that those are areas that I need to continually grow and continually revisit because I leak and you do too. We need to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. And some of the evidence of whether or not and to what degree we are filled with the Holy Spirit is manifest in our courage for Christ and our selfless as opposed to selfish living. So how are you doing, okay? 
It's a good thing, God-honoring thing to ask God to cultivate your courage and to help you live a selfless, Christ-centered life. Before we go any further, I want to dig in here to the big but that's in this passage in chapter 5, verse 1. The believers are selling their possessions, laying them down at the apostles' feet. God is moving. The Spirit of God is moving, welling up not only inside of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, but that, that filling is overflowing and being manifest in this community of selflessness, all right? In Acts chapter 5, but. Acts chapter 5, but a man named Ananias. There's a contrast here. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Sounds very similar at this point to what Joseph Barnabas did earlier at the end of Acts chapter 4. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, he's probably demonstrating generosity that could very well be above and beyond what we're used to hearing about tithing and giving 10%. All he did was hold back some of the proceeds for himself. So in modern church standards, this would still be considered a very honorable thing to do, except, except it is not in keeping with the movement of the Spirit of God in the community. That's what makes his seemingly otherwise selfless gesture become obviously selfish in the sight of God, within the context where this takes place. But Peter said, look in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. What a contrast this is. Up to this point, we see in Acts chapter 2, we see in Acts chapter 4, Peter is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit not once, not twice, but three times. He's with the believers when it says that they prayed and the place where they were praying was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's part of that crowd. So Peter, we see, is filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. That's what we see happening characteristically here up to this point in the book of Acts. But here, a man comes along and he's filled not with the Holy Spirit. Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart? It's completely contrary to the movement, the presence, the power, and the testimony of God, the testimony of Jesus up to this point. And God puts his foot down and says, nope, not going to allow that, not going to tolerate that. And his chosen instrument, his chosen vessel to communicate that is the man who was recovering from fear pressure, Peter. The one who was told ahead of time, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter says, never. Peter says, I will go to death with you. And Jesus says, oh, really? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter gave in to fear pressure, peer pressure. He concerned himself. He allowed himself to be concerned with the opinions of people more than the opinion of God. God used this very individual to speak these very words to a man who was sinning. A man who was sinning. 
and filled with Satan when he could have been, if he was a believer. We don't know if Ananias and Sapphira were real believers or phony balonies. We don't know, but God knows the truth. The point is that the spirit of God was moving. God was being glorified. People were seeing how the people were living and they were blown away. They were astonished and God had made himself irresistible in their midst. And what was being jeopardized here If it was tolerated, there are times when tolerance is not a good thing, and this is one of them. What could have been compromised was the glory, the presence of God, and the witness for Jesus that was the result, the overflow. When God is moving, when God is glorifying his name, Jesus is exalted and people are blown away. Jesus becomes irresistible, The church becomes a magnetic community that people are drawn to. And this is exactly what we see here happening up to this point in the book of Acts. People getting saved because the glory of God is being manifest. God is moving and somebody comes along and they think that they can lie, that they can deceive in the midst of this movement. By outward appearances, it looks like Ananias is a pretty spiritual guy. We can fool some of the people some of the time, all of the people most of the time, but you can never fool God. And Ananias finds out the hard way. Peter said to Ananias in verse three, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Wow. What a great reminder for us today that every deed that we do, every deed that we withhold that we could do, is really done not before each other, but ultimately before God himself, who sees it all. He sees the motives, he sees the intentions, he sees the sincerity, and he sees the insincerity. And he revealed it in this instance to the apostle Peter. We don't get the behind the scenes. We don't get the backstage pass here. We don't know how Peter knows it specifically, but we know that It's given to Peter by God. How do we know that? Because after Peter says these words, look at what happens. Verse five, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died. He kicked the bucket. His heart stopped beating. His brain waves waved their last goodbye. He becomes breathless. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. This is the fear of God in contrast to the fear of man, the fear of people. You know anybody who struggles with being afraid of what people think of them? You're not alone. It's part of the human problem to think that the opinions of people are what matter when the only thing that really matters is the opinion of God. And this is the fear of God that fell upon the people. Great fear, reverence for God fell upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. You get the impression that Ananias and Sapphira didn't have a particularly close marriage, not just because of this situation, but because of what we're going to think about a little bit more, courtesy of the scriptures. Three hours 
have gone by and she doesn't know that her husband is dead and buried. Verse eight, Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? In other words, how could you do such a thing in light of the movement of God, in light of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? This is uh, the movement of God in such a way that they hadn't seen since the days of Moses, since the days of Solomon, since the days of old when God was moving. The presence of God was manifest in the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. The Spirit of God is again moving. And Peter says, how could you do this in light of everything that's happening? Thousands of people acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. Signs and wonders and God doing miraculous things and great courage within the church. How could you be a fly in this ointment of God? How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. She kicks the bucket. She dies. Her heart stops beating. Her brain waves wave goodbye. And she too is dead. Hmm. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things, the fear of God. God will not share his glory with another. Be very conscious, cognizant, aware, respectful of when God is moving because at the end of the day, you're either moving with God or you're moving against him. Do you understand that? At the end of the day, you are either moving with God or against him. There's no in-between. You need to be able to discern when God is moving, how God is moving, what God is doing, and then you have a responsibility. It's an accountability issue. Will you adjust your life to move with God? Will you adjust your family to move with God? Will you adjust your church, your business, whatever it might be, to move with God or are you going to move against him? When God is moving, watch out. He takes that very seriously because what was at stake was the reputation of Jesus. These people weren't coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in a vacuum. It was happening in the context of God moving, the people becoming courageous because of the infilling with the Holy Spirit, the people becoming selfless because of the infilling with the Holy Spirit. God was moving. People were getting saved. Jesus was irresistible, and two flies drop into the ointment. You know why they did that? The same reason why you can do it, why I can do it. Anytime we become a fly in God's beautiful ointment, It's because of this, one or both of these things. All sin can be boiled down to either the sin of self-protection or the sin of self-glorification. One or both of those are operable in your life anytime and every time you sin. Self-glorification or self-protection. Now here we see both of them at work. Peter says to him, why did you do this? The money was at your disposal. Nobody was coercing you. This is not socialism. This is the movement of God. 
The best way for the people's needs to get met is when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why our government has become a 500-pound gorilla and there are so many social handouts, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's because we within the church have not allowed ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the program, the welfare program for the people. And if we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we would see God take care of the needs of the people. Now, you can't take care of the needs of all of the people. The needs of the people within the context of a local church need to get met by the church that they're going to, wherever those people are going to. Otherwise, you give money to everybody and everybody for any cause. You'd have nothing left for the people who are nearest and dearest to you. All right? So a church does have a responsibility to take care of its own when there's genuine need and to be selfless. Well, guess what? That selflessness comes courtesy of the filling with the Holy Spirit. God's welfare program, the original welfare program, comes courtesy of the Spirit of God. We've reached a point in the United States of America where more than half of the people in our nation are in some type of entitlement program. And can I just be honest with you? You can't sustain that monster. You cannot sustain it. One of the reasons why God's people, the needs of God's people are often not met is because we allow ourselves to tolerate. You want to talk about tolerance for a second? We allow ourselves to tolerate churches where the people are not characteristically filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. If churches, if the people within churches were characteristically filled with and led by the Holy Spirit, we would see the presence of God in ways we don't currently see. We would see the movement of God in ways that we don't currently see. We would see the glory of God. We would see Jesus become irresistible in the community. And you know what? People would get saved because they would see that this kind of courage, this kind of selflessness does not come through mere mortal means. It comes from the immortal God filling up mortal individuals who care more about the kingdom agenda of God, not their own empire. A lot of empires being built today, but there's only one eternal kingdom and one eternal king, the kingdom and the king, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Jesus and Jesus as the king. Today, we're living in a world where It's become incredibly easy to depend upon the government instead of God. And I'm not so sure that we within the church aren't largely responsible because we've lost our witness, because we are willing to go through life without the filling with the Holy Spirit. There's always a heavy price to pay when we choose to be filled with something other than the Holy Spirit. You don't believe me? Ask Ananias. Oh, how we need the filling with the Holy Spirit. You need that as a businessman. You need to know, God, what do I do with the money you just gave me? If you're a leader in the church or you're any type of a leader, you need to know that God has given you opportunities of influence to point people to Jesus, not yourself. Be very aware of the sins of self-protection and self glorification. They will create train wrecks in your life. They will cause you to be at odds with the movement, the presence, the power of the Spirit of God. And if you are ever at odds with the movement, the presence, the power of the Spirit of God, you are of no use to God. 
You will not draw people to Jesus. You will draw people to somebody or something other than Jesus. Be careful. So we've got this understanding of the Holy Spirit. We think that if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be so nice and so polite and so milquetoast. It's almost as if people believe that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, your spine is removed, that you become spineless in a lot of ways. That's not the way it works. Peter and John, tremendous backbone for the glory of God, the agenda of God. That's what the filling with the Holy Spirit does. Look at the courage that he has in confronting Ananias. And then over a three-hour time, he has the ability to contemplate what just happened. And he doesn't back off at all. Hey, tell us, Sapphira, the money that you said, is that the full property? Peter's up to something. Peter is concerned about someone. He's concerned about the Lord Jesus Christ and his reputation. He's concerned about the kingdom agenda of God being compromised. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will care about the reputation of Jesus. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will care about the kingdom agenda of God, and you will not care about the opinions of people. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Let God be true, and Every man be a liar. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. These apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God moving in their midst powerfully. And Peter just lays it out there. Look with me in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. Because I want you to understand that this is one of the primary characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Led by the Holy Spirit, you have tremendous courage. You speak the truth and you leave the consequences to God. Something we're not used to today. We're not used to people being filled with the Holy Spirit where they are unapologetically speaking the truth because we're not necessarily as zealous for the glory of God, the reputation of Jesus, and the kingdom agenda of Jesus as it seems that the apostles were. Here we are in the 21st century, and we can learn an awful lot about the believers in the first century and how when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they cared about Jesus. They cared about the kingdom agenda of God. And they were very sensitive to phony balonies, very sensitive to somebody who was into self-glorification or self-protection because they understood that the glory of Jesus, the reputation of Jesus, the witness of the church which is what either attracts people to Jesus or turns people off from Jesus, was dependent upon how zealous the believers were for the kingdom agenda of Jesus and the glory of Jesus who spreads the kingdom. You need to be zealous for Jesus. You need to be zealous for the kingdom of God, and you will be when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Acts chapter 13, verse 9, there's a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. How do you like that for false prophets? As false prophet names go, Bar-Jesus, pretty phony and similar sounding, isn't it? What a takeoff here. There's a false Jewish prophet named Bar-Jesus drawing attention to himself. He was a magician, counterfeit signs and wonders. That's what's being suggested here in verse nine. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So we roll up our sleeves and we get our feet firmly fixed in the ground and we prepare ourselves to get an understanding of what 
is he going to do now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like when a man of God or when a woman of God, when a child of God, when an individual is filled with the Holy Spirit, how do they act? This is how they act. Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. The word that's used here is that he fixed his eyes on him. He wants to make sure that the next words that come out of his mouth sink into this man's heart. He fixes his eyes on him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sunshine for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. See, somebody comes to believe in Jesus as their savior because of the movement, the presence, the power, the witness of God. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What a similar thing we see in Acts chapter 13 compared to Acts chapter 5, where God's servant, a man who gave in to fear pressure before Peter, becomes tremendously bold and zealous, appropriately so, for the glory of God. When this man, Saul, who was persecuting the church, he gives testimony elsewhere in the scriptures that he was a blasphemer and a violent man, a blasphemer, a murderer, and a violent man. Now, if God can take a blasphemer, a murderer, and a violent man, fill him with the spirit, and make him a vessel of righteousness, he can certainly do that with you. You don't have an excuse, and neither do I. See, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have courage to say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done, to become a vessel for righteousness, to stand up, speak out, be a mouthpiece for Almighty God because you know what's at stake? Not only the reputation of Jesus, but also saved or lost lives. Saved or lost lives. The proconsul believed as a result of this man being filled with the Holy Spirit, saying what needed to be said. People's lives actually hang in the balance depending on whether or not you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You do represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You are representing the Lord Jesus Christ one way or another in your family in the workplace, in the church. And oh, how we need people just like you, just like me, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done, and not to participate in the sins of other people. Be careful that you're not participating in the sins of other people. You know, Sapphira was an enabler. Here we go. Hold on to your seat because you'll never see this passage of Scripture the same way again. You might never see your own life and your own relationship in your marriage the same way again. Sapphira was an enabler. She had every opportunity when Peter says to her, 
tell me, the money that you said that you put aside, that your husband says you put aside, is that the full amount? She had every opportunity to say, nope, not true, come clean. Who knows, she might not have been stricken dead. But instead, what does she do? The sin of self-protection, the sin of self-glorification. See, they look like bigwigs. There are certain times where you can do something in the presence of people that makes you look super spiritual. Laying money down at the apostles' feet, selling some possessions, laying it down looks just like what Joseph, what Barnabas did, but it's not what Joseph did. It's not what Barnabas did. On the outside, it can look very spiritual. But on the inside, God knows the heart. They were drawing attention to themselves when they should have been drawing attention to Jesus. Self-glorification. Sapphira, protecting herself when actually she wasn't protecting herself at all. You know, when you cover your sin, when you cover the sin of your spouse, you're not helping your wife. Men, you're not helping your wife, if your wife is sinning and you're not calling it what it is, you're not helping your wife, you're enabling your wife, you're enabling her to continue in that sin when she should be repenting. And God put you in the closest position and closest proximity to your wife to help her, to lovingly speak into her life to keep her from sinning. Likewise, Men, God gave you your wife. She is the closest person to you, in closest proximity to you. Not an adversary, not an adversary, but a suitable helpmate given to you by Almighty God. And you need to listen to your wife. You need to listen for the voice of Almighty God through your wife. Listen in Numbers chapter 22. God took this man, Balaam, and spoke to this man, Balaam, through the mouth of his donkey, opened up the mouth of his donkey and spoke to him. And you know who the real donkey was? Balaam, because instead of being blown away, this is not an everyday occurrence that an animal speaks. When was the last time you saw an animal speak? God opens up the mouth of Balaam's donkey and instead of of saying, wait a second, what's happening here? Maybe God is trying to speak to me. He beats his donkey and becomes the bigger donkey. Listen, if God can speak through a donkey, he can certainly speak through your spouse. In fact, he does it all the time. But when you don't listen, when you push aside the closest person to you through whom God speaks most frequently, you end up becoming the bigger donkey. Be careful that you are not enabling your spouse by tolerating their sin. Whether it's something they're doing that they shouldn't do or it's something they're not doing that they should do. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Be careful that you don't become guilty by association. You're not helping your spouse by allowing a sin to continue. And you know, one of the reasons why we don't receive input from our spouses is because of that sin of self-protection and that sin 
of self-glorification. It doesn't always feel good to be corrected, does it? How do I know that? Because I'm always being corrected. I get corrected by my children. And I thank God that he loves me enough to correct me through my children. And you should too. Could it be that it's not simply your spouse's opinion? Could it be that it's not simply your children's opinion or your parents' opinion? What if it's God's opinion speaking to you through your spouse, through a family member? So you've got to get to the point where you don't care about your own feelings. You've got to get to the point where you don't care about your own reputation. You've got to get to the point where you're so filled with the Holy Spirit, where you're so filled with the Holy Spirit that you only care about how God feels and about God's opinion. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we care about Jesus. We care about Jesus' agenda. We care about the only kingdom that's going to last forever, and we will not enable the sins of other people. This is why dysfunction is created in families. I bet the household of Ananias and Sapphira are probably pretty dysfunctional. If you're willing to lie that easily in the midst of a powerful movement of the Spirit of God like this, just comes out automatically, you're able to lie like that? What else are you lying about? What else are you deceiving people about? How deeply entrenched are you in the opinions of other people and how important they have become instead of the opinion of God? Look with me at Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, here are a few passages of Scripture. We'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 in just a second, but a couple of great passages of Scripture that are important for you to understand in the course of your relationships with people, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your parents, whether it's a friend, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, a brother or sister in Christ. Here it is, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you know, sometimes we're so deceived that we leave God with no other choice but to catch us. It's exactly what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. He got caught. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, those of you who know better have an obligation before Almighty God to gently Speak up. No, honey, if you do that, it's wrong. Sweetheart, this cannot continue. You need to do it with gentleness. The Bible says a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle word turns away wrath. The Bible's consistent here when it says do it with gentleness. Don't tolerate the sin in your marriage because sin left unchecked creates dysfunction, which leads to more sin. Dysfunction creates strongholds, satanic spiritual strongholds in a life or in a family. Those things can get passed on from generation to generation to generation. Generational sin, all because of the sin of self-protection. I just don't want to rock the boat. Listen, You won't care about rocking the boat. You will speak up when it needs to be said when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
When you are consumed and concerned with the reputation of Jesus and his kingdom agenda in your life, you will stand up, you will speak out, you will gently and yet courageously speak out when you see a family member or another brother or sister in Christ sinning. They need to be corrected and you need to do it with love and you need to do it with gentleness, but you need to do it. Galatians 6.1, great reminder for us. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. In fact, I'll back it up to verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, a very serious statement that Paul is saying, I charge you to keep these rules, rules about purity and holy living. That's what he's been talking about. Without prejudice or without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. See, when you think, well, it's my wife. You know, this happens all the time where there's a problem in a marriage, where the spouse is sitting, they'll come to us for counseling, the spouse is sitting, the other spouse knows it, but the spouse wants to protect their husband or their wife. And so they side with the husband or the wife, and what do they do? They're enabling the sin and the pattern and the stronghold to continue, when lovingly what needs to be said is, honey, is this true before the Holy Spirit? That's what Peter asks Ananias and Sapphira. You don't need to protect anybody except the reputation of Jesus. And if you're gentle and loving with those who have gone astray, who have given into the sin of self-protection or self-glorification, your gentleness just might win them over. What he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, speaking of leadership, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. It's all about purity. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. It's not just that people are getting saved, it's that people are getting purified. Their sins have been removed so that they begin to sin less. And when there's less sin, there's more purity. It's all about the holiness of God, the reputation of Jesus. It's all about purity. God removed every one of your sins. He will remove every one of your sins if you haven't yet given your life to Christ. So that you can begin to live the kind of life that gives greater and greater glory to God, that is increasingly characterized by purity, not impurity. Don't share in the sins of others. You don't want your life to become a fly in the ointment of God. When God is moving, when God wants to move, when God wants to bless, when God wants to pour himself out so that others can have the representation of Jesus Christ that they so desperately need to see in today's distasteful and dark world, you want to be that man, you want to be that woman, you want to be that boy, you want to be that girl, you want to be that church, you want to be that family, you want to be that business that shines the light of Jesus so clearly that Jesus is irresistible. That's what you want. More importantly, that's what God wants. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. 
You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.